Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Business of Psychology. I'm here today with Sue Steer and Sue's a counsellor but also a children's author and I'm really excited to talk to Sue today about her journey. So hi Sue, welcome to the podcast. Hi Rosanna, thank you for having me. Um, So can you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I'm Sue Steer. Um, I'm a counsellor in Stockton on Tees in the northeast of England. Um, I run a private practice here. So there's me and I have three other affiliate counsellors who work alongside me as well. Um, we work with adults and children, so we work across the board. Um, we work with anxiety, depression, uh, relationships. We work with pretty much everything. We're person-centred counsellors and we're also CBT counsellors too. Um, so we pull from a few different modalities. Um, that said, my, my background is community safety and youth offending. So originally I set up a counselling service in the community safety team here at Stockton for the local authority. And then I moved on to set one up for the youth offending team. And after setting two up for different services, I decided to take the leap and set my own up, really. And that's how I land here. Oh, wow. So I didn't realise that your background was in um, youth offending. That's really interesting. And it Was it quite different when you stepped into the private practice world? Yeah, Um a different in the, I guess there's differences and similarities, I suppose. Um, different in the sense of I probably work with more adults here than I did there. Um, and the client issues can be different. But then in the same breath, people are people. And so usually in therapy, we get a referral for one thing and there's a whole host of other things. And I think that was across the board in community safety, youth offending and here. Um, it's different in the sense that I've, my background's always been local authority and so not having the political side of that, of the meetings, the, the attending meetings for the sake of meetings sometimes and all of that other stuff sort of is removed in private practice. And so it, I feel like I'm more able to do the stuff that makes a difference and I'm difference and I'm more passionate about, I guess. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think I hear that echoed a lot on this podcast. But I think a lot of people who are new to private practice might be surprised at how similar the clinical issues are that we work with. Um, I I know I was surprised. I, I imagined it was all going to be, you know, very straightforward, lots of, you know, basically well people who just wanted a bit of a mental health top up. Um, and of course, that's that's not what we find at all. Sometimes what's written on the referral form might look different. But when you get down to it, the issues are often very similar. Absolutely. It's just human beings, isn't it? We all have lives and we all have different things going on in our lives. And quite often you get the headline, don't you? You get the, this is the straw that brought the camels back. That's why I'm coming. But when we get further into it, it there's usually more. So, yeah, it's different but similar, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and for you, it sounds like you were stepping into private practice already having had a lot of managerial experience behind you. Did did that help when you were starting out? Um, so 
I had run the practice, but I was the only counsellor when I worked for local authority. So I literally set the services up. So community safety, there was only me to start with. And then another counsellor came along, but there was a manager who wasn't a counsellor running it, which usually happens in local authority. And then um, youth offending, I stepped across and set up the service again um, and then left as the that's grown and there's a few counsellors in there now and I clinically supervise a few of them. Um, so not really manager, uh, managerial experience when I stepped into this. Um, I've had to, I've had to learn fast <laughs> um, <laughs> as things have changed and grown. I think when you go into private practice, being a counsellor, that's only one part of the job, isn't it? There are, you've got to do your books, you need to promote yourself. You, If you've got affiliates, which I have, you want to grow them, you want to support them, you you know, there's there's all sorts of things that I go, we'd like to put some training on and, and so it goes. <laughs> so learning all the time. <laughs> yes, and it, it, it strikes me that you're somebody that embraced that and really got stuck into to the learning aspect of it. Yeah, I'm one of those people who has a million tabs open in her head. Lots <laughs> me of <too>. ideas. <laughs> um, and so I jump from one to the next. I'm always excited about something. I love to learn. And so for me, it felt it felt like freedom. Um, it was 20 years in local authority. So stepping out of local authority was oh I can breathe and I, I can nobody's pulling me back and saying no you can't do that you should try this I can just be me and do what I want to do oh that's amazing that's really <laughs> refreshing um so thinking about you know your your practice as it stands now how long did it take you to go from being a solo practitioner to bringing the associates on board um so I grew this on the side for a little while before I left local authority, before I took the jump. So I knew it was a bit of a calculated risk rather than a jump into the abyss. Um, and then maybe, it's maybe about a year, maybe. Um, and then um, there's been a few swaps and changes. How I've done that is um, I work quite closely with the college, local college, so Riverside College here in Stockton <clears throat> um, and Teesside University run counselling courses. And so I link up and provide personal therapy while counsellors are training and clinical supervision. And so by doing that, I've been able to take newly qualified counsellors and help them step into this part so my affiliates I think they're three years qualified now but the, um, they weren't at the start and so being able to do that and help them feel brave I guess of that background of not just stepping into nothing you've got somebody with a bit of experience behind them and so that's sort of how it is so maybe about a year Wow. I mean, that that's quite fast. Um, you know, having supported a lot of people through that transition, it's that's quite a rapid one. Um, <laughs> but I can totally see how that would work. And I think often people get really stuck. How do I find the right associates? How do I make it worthwhile for an associate to come into my practice? And actually, I think connecting up with training courses is a really nice way of, of doing that. Yeah, it's been it's been really nice because it's meant that we've probably all known each other first. Generally, few of us have, few of us have haven't. But 
once you you land in that world i guess and, and and of training you get to meet new people and different and you know who's interested in maybe going into a private practice who isn't how what maybe support they would like around that and i'm well i'm all about let's all just go and do it but <laughs> i'm happy to support anybody and if i can i will and i think people often underestimate how if you've got that energy and that enthusiasm how attractive that is for people to work for you know of course if I'm newly qualified I'm going to want to work alongside you because you're giving me that you know confidence boost and that enthusiasm that you need right at the beginning yeah yeah and it's really nice to give that you know that's a two-way street isn't it I think if you are supporting people and helping them and helping them grow you're also getting the best out of people too aren't you and so they are going to give my clients the best experience too and that's at the end of the day what it's about isn't it it's my name it's my practice and I want my clients to feel they're getting the best and I like to think they are (laughs) (laughs) so was there anything that was tricky in that setting up process because I know a lot of people um listening to this are right in the thick of it in those early stages um yeah I think having the guts in the first place was really scary I remember walking out of my job after 19 and a half years being really confident and the first step out of the door my head said who do you think you are and that that was the first thought I had and I thought god you know you've walked away from a good pension you've walked away from this that the other a decent way um, and so it did take it did take some guts. Um, what was tricky? I think what was tricky was um, figuring out the the paperwork side of things, um, the books, the doing you know log. It's all the background stuff that I find the boring stuff, I guess, to me. Um, <laughs> that making sure you have your receipts make it for me it's about I log everything immediately so every week I have one afternoon where I update my ins and outs into my um database so I know my books are up to date every single week my client database so I know who's coming for the following week is all up to date on a Sunday ready for the Monday it was it was figuring out what worked for me which was really hard I think at first it was just scattered (laughs) yeah I, I think I can relate to that I think a lot of people can too I think a really good tip is to work out what you hate because you're going to avoid that <laughs> and yeah. force yourself to diarise when you're going to do it. And I think frequently is is the answer, especially if, uh, you know, like both of us, it's a bookkeeping thing. I used to put that off and then it would become overwhelming. Um, but like you say, it's weekly, daily, but frequently where you get it up to date. So you never have that feeling of, I can't even look at it. <laughs> yeah, it is the worst thing. I think, for, for me, if it's only 20 minutes a week, I can cope with 20 minutes a week. And actually, the, the receipt part, I do that on a daily basis. I have a special bit in my purse. As soon as I get in, I take the receipts out and I put them straight on. And they go in an envelope with that date on in a box that's next to my desk and they're gone. It's really easy. But the, the other bit, it's probably half an hour and I can cope with that. If it was a full day once every month, oh, my God, that would just... Yeah, that's oh, a nightmare. Torture. yeah absolutely absolutely awful (laughs) um so I guess 
what prompted you to start thinking about adding a children's book into this already successful <laughs> business, which is probably quite time consuming, I'm guessing? Yeah, um, I guess partly it's because, like I said, I have a really, these busy brain could be Sue's busy brain. I have a, be, I have a busy brain. And so I'm, I've, I'm, I am that person who relaxes by doing rather than laying, doing nothing. And so I've always, so I've made vintage shower caps for years. I saw, I've always been a bit of a creator. I'll paint furniture. That's just me. So over the years, I have made notes for books. Um, I work really creatively in therapy. So I use a lot of storms and sand trays and metaphor. So often my notes are a drawing, which I'll then get out for the next session and share with the client. And so it scratched a creative itch, I guess. When I work with young people, it is a story that I have told forever. <laughs> um, so for, partly it was something that I could use myself. Um, it was something that I thought, Do you know, that would be really great if I could get this book out and show the pictures and tell the story. I use other books that way. Um, so partly for myself, partly because it it, it gave me that um, creative pleasure that I enjoy. Um, partly because actually I realised I couldn't find a book that introduced therapy to um, young people. And so... It was partly a way of having that. So if a young person is going into therapy where there's a book you can give them that tells you what therapy looks like and what a counsellor might do in a session and um, that she might should be really nice and these are the things you're going to look at and it's fun. And I think was also a bit of a motive. I think it's something that teachers can use, social workers, counsellors, parents. It's quite um easy to use by anyone I guess and the, the colours that so for me getting Alice Strange who's the illustrator to come on board and do that I mean at first I thought I might do it myself but I'm really rubbish <laughs> <Is that laughs> I'm sure you're not rubbish I'm really bad <laughs> stick men I really tried and it was really bad and so yeah it was an investment um however the the end result is so colourful and beautiful I'm you know I'm really proud of it and I do think it fits a gap that we don't we maybe don't have anything that fits at the moment that introduces counselling that has a bit of a CBT approach uh, to it. Yeah I really like that idea I think we often underestimate because we've been immersed in our professions for so long I think we often underestimate how little the public know about what a, a therapy session or a counselling session might be like and yeah. so you've often got parents teachers senkos trying to reassure a child about something they don't know anything about absolutely I completely agree I think to have a book you can pick up and tell a story that is leans towards questions too so it would allow a lovely conversation to run alongside it is is exactly what's missing. I completely agree. I think being the in the story is is worried about going to see a counsellor. She thinks the counsellor might think she's mad. <laughs> you know, and how many young people will relate to that who've been told you're going to go and see a counsellor next week and this is a complete stranger? And well, what does that look like? 
Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's brilliant. And, and, you know, thinking about young people in my life, often they think counselling happens if a parent dies. Or yeah. maybe you get counselling if your parents are separating. They've got quite a concrete idea of what kind of traumatic events deserve counselling. Um, and so anything that opens up that conversation of actually, you know, you might just feel like you need it around something which isn't a big life event. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I agree with you. I think there's lots of books on certain life events. You're right. Mm. Is there, you know, there's not so many around worries and muddles, which is yeah. what he's going to counselling in the book about. And so that is more, I guess it's, I guess the book normalises some of this stuff too, you know, worries and muddles around my friends might not like me you know that I'm not fast enough at that or I'm not good enough at that they're the norms aren't they that young people do worry about and so to go to a counsellor with those things and somebody to help you recognise that their emotional thoughts and challenge them and, and work towards thinking rationally which in the book is brain bully and brain bestie um is is really helpful for young people but you're right if nobody knows counselling can help that and so therefore these children don't get referred in um, it isn't great and so maybe this is a, a step towards therapy it might be just a book that fills a gap and you never end up need, wanting to go to therapy and that's fine it's just a nice story but it can be a, a stepping stone towards too I think that sounds so valuable so can you can you say a little bit more about the main character B because I'm really fascinated <laughs> about this yeah so B is a little girl who catches some worries and muddles um she's always been happy and then she suddenly starts worrying about I can't keep up at that I'm not very good at that my friends don't maybe don't like me um and they're all emotional thoughts if you like and so in the book, B's mum uh, makes her an appointment to see the school counsellor and then B catches more worries and muddles. So then she starts worrying about seeing the counsellor and she might think she's mad. And so what happens is B meets the counsellor and tells her what's going on and they make a list of how they're gonna she's going to support her. And B feels better already the next day and she thinks maybe the counsellor's got a magic wand because talking to her, she already started to feel okay. Um, and the book then goes into the sessions, the sessions where B is introduced to a having a brain bully and a brain bestie, which we would know as our emotional mind and our rational mind. And so B names her brain bully Madge and she writes down the things that Madge says to her. Um, and then she's introduced to a brain bestie and she calls her Edith. And Edith um, has a very quiet voice and Madge has a really loud voice. And so the counsellor teaches B how when you're doing things that make you happy, so self-care, they make big lists of those. When she does those, they help her brain bestie have a louder voice. And when her brain bestie has a louder voice, her brain bully listens. And so what happens is B re realises that her brain bully isn't a bully after all. She's just a scared part of her. And they make friends and they all go out skipping together and they all, you know, get along. And B learns that having good self-care keeps her brain bully quiet. And it also means that her brain bestie can answer and reassure her brain bully if you like eat at munch and that's, that's what it's so about. nice I love it <laughs> what a great way of explaining it 
<laughs> Thank you. I think it just led, lends to lots of worksheets and questions. And, you know, can you draw your brain bully? Can you draw your babies? Can you name them? You know, the book B is doing these things throughout the book, which means that in therapy, you could easily copy these things in therapy with a young person. You know, what does your brain bully say? What does your brain bestie say about that? Let's do a list of self-care to keep your brain bestie having a life. I think it also gives a language to it what I've what I've learned over telling the story over a million years <laughs> is that young people then start using that language so I'll hear parents say or oh, she's been telling me about a brain bully and a brain bestie and she'll say my brain bully's been saying this today or my brain bestie um, and they, they come in to therapy using that language after hearing the story which is great because I think sometimes young people don't have the language and, and actually adults don't either no. you know I think uh, as a parent but also just as an adult it's really difficult to to name that bit of yourself um, yeah. and and to do it in a friendly way I think yeah. where adults often get to is they recognize that there is a part of themselves that they call like the anxious part um, but they don't like it and they get angry with it um, yeah. and often that makes everything worse whereas what I really love about this is the friendliness of it imagining <laughs> that you know that the three of you can be mates <laughs> I really like that um, and I think that's really healthy um, and, I, and I think it would give parents a lovely way of talking about their own experiences and modeling that for their children as well. Thank you yeah hopefully imagine the book has um, a crystal ball and she invites you know she thinks she can see that into the future but obviously she can't which which we know in CBT is you know our unhelpful thinking styles we think we can fortune tell we think we can read people's minds and so imagine the book does that you know she thinks she can read minds she thinks she can tell the future so it introduces those unhelpful thinking styles too so in a conversation you know a young child who's read that book could easily recognize that oh well my brain bully's been guessing the future or fortune telling or reading minds or so I, I completely agree I think um it gives parents or whoever the person who might be reading the book gives them some answers as well it's not reading the book and then thinking right what am I going to do with that information then I don't know what to do now so she's told me I'm she's worried but now what do I do exactly <laughs> exactly solutions too yeah, I love that because there's been all these campaigns about, you know, get young people talking or get people talking in general, but there's nothing about the answer. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to say when people open up to me? And I think that's a huge anxiety uh, for a lot of people that work alongside young people, particularly. Yeah. What do I actually do if they come to me and say, I'm really struggling with anxiety? And yeah. this is a lovely tool. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I'll be getting a copy for me and my kids. Um, but, yeah, thank you so much for talking to us about it. No Would you mind telling me a little bit about the process? Like, How did you actually get this out of your head and onto paper? Um, with great difficulty. Um, so getting it onto paper to start with wasn't so bad because it was a story I've told so many times. But then... Oh, God, writing a book is so different to what I thought it was. And writing a picture book with so few words, you would think was really easy, and it really wasn't. Um, so I 
I have been on a massive learning curve. I have read everything. I have watched a million YouTube things. I have linked with other authors and tried to learn how to do that the best I can. Um, and so what I actually did was I linked with a, another lady um, who Lutra Fern, she's called, and what she does is she's she's a children's book writer, but she also offers a service where you can send her your um script if you like and she will read it and then she will give you feedback on the author's voice the protagonist's voice um that sort of thing and so she was oh god she, she was a saving grace actually so she i sent her the book she gave me some feedback i made tweaks sent it back then she was like yeah that's right and that's how it should and she has lots of information on how to do certain things on her website so i she was great that's where i learned um, from from then, once you've got your your words, your your script right, and you have to write them in spreads, so you write them in two page spreads. So all of this was learning to me, um, and then it was a case of trying to find an illustrator. And like I say, I thought I might do that myself, which was really rubbish because <laughs> I couldn't do the same drawing twice, <laughs> so that was never going to work. Um, and so um, what I did there was I was on Instagram and started searching illustrators and following a few and just looking. Um, and Alice strange who I used um I, her, her images just stood out to me as uh, really warm and she uses beautiful colors and her pictures are a, like the flowers are bigger than they should be if you like and things are a bit exaggerated and they're a bit really quirky um and so I contacted Alice asked if she would be interested it was the first book she's done so we went on a little bit bit of a book adventure really together so we learned as we went along um we were probably slow <laughs> and we kept swapping and changing things but because we both understood we were learning that worked really well for us um and so we we put the transporter bridge on the front page which is behind um be on the front page, which is a local uh, landmark here in, uh, well, in Middlesbrough. Um, so we we landed it locally, if you like. Um, and she's the pictures are just amazing. So once she'd done that, we then, ha well, I then had to find somebody to um, typeset it. So I, <laughs> I thought that was just something I could do myself. And again, it wasn't. So uh, I sent it to a local in Billingham um, company to have a read through and put it into a nice little file so I could upload it on Amazon. And he came back and said, your words are all over. <laughs> so then it was a bit more money to get that all typeset. But once he pointed out what was wrong, I could see it. I just didn't know what I was looking for because I've never done it before. So he set it, the words all nice and everything was lovely. Uh, he put it in a file for me so I could upload it to Amazon. Um, and they were printers too. So I printed uh, um, 100 copies so I can take them out and about with me. And then I, I uploaded it onto Amazon Ready. And that's sort of the process in a nutshell with a lot of worries and wobbles and learning along the way, I guess. <laughs> so how does it work with Amazon now? So if somebody makes an order, do they just print a copy and send it to them? Yes. So how I've done that, I've done print on demand, which is KDP. So yes, if you, if you went on Amazon today, you could 
type in Beasley's brain, you could buy it and they would print that one copy so it doesn't cost you to print a million copies and send them to Amazon or they take an order and then they let you know and you have to post it. In fact, it's all done. They take a big chunk of what you make for that. But yeah, that's how it's done, which is why I've also had. So what I did was I got some 100 books printed from the local printers and they had um, a nicer paper, actuals, brighter colours, um, so that you have a bit more control uh, with a local printer, if you like, over Amazon. It's you, it's just printed that that way. Um, so the local printers. What then I did was I've I've got that in Drake's Bookshop, which is a local shop here, and I'll try. I've put it in the local library, and I'll try and do some events where I can take them along with me. So I've got two streams of income through it, if you like. That's really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing the nuts and bolts of that, because, you know, I, I think I've I've dived a little bit into the self-publishing route. And yes, oh, my goodness, there are so many things that we don't know about <laughs> typesetting being one of them. Um, but also things like cover design. I mean, obviously, you had your illustrator. So I imagine she knew a bit about that. Yeah. But it's a whole science, isn't it? Oh, huge. Um, the just the fact that the once it was all set to go on Amazon, then it wouldn't work because the margins are wrong and the bleed was wrong and all of those things. It really has been a learning experience. However, that said, I think once you've done it and you've learned, <laughs> book two is now being illustrated. There's going to be three. Um, so uh, this, oh, touch wood. The second and third will be much easier because I now have the right contact. I know what that looks like I'm not going to try and do everything myself because that was a mad thought in the first place um and so I know what to expect the next next twice hopefully I think you say it's mad but actually I think it's a mistake that most of us make whenever we're starting anything new in our business whatever new project it is we always think we can do everything (laughs) and actually sometimes making that investment in bringing other people in is the difference between success and failure yeah you know when I hear people trying to do everything on an absolute shoestring they won't invest in any software they won't get any help they won't get any admin support um because I can't afford it right now well you'll always not be able to afford it because you won't ever have the headspace to get to the next level um but I think you know, you learn that, don't you, from running your business for a while? I absolutely agree. It is really scary, isn't it? Sort of outsourcing those things because they are investments and it is money that you think, oh God, can I do it? What if? And oh, is there any way around it? But the truth is, you're right. If I'd have drawn that book, it would have been rubbish. If I'd have typeset that book, it was rubbish because I had, I didn't have things central. I had a word falling off the bottom of life, which I thought looked fine. Click, obviously, it doesn't. Um, and so I have, to be honest, I have to say once I looked at when he changed the words and put them straight, I could, it was the difference between an all right job and a perfect, like a, it's a proper book and it looks right. And if that's what you're looking for, then you have to, horses for courses, you have to have the right people to do the right jobs and you can't do everything, you just can't. And it's, yeah, it would have been some sort of weird booklet. <laughs> 
if I could do it on my own, because there's just no way. There's no way. I keep looking at it thinking, I can't even believe that belongs to me because it's it's lovely. I really like it. <laughs> and that that pride that you feel in it is what makes it easier to market it. You know, there's no sense when I speak to you about it, I don't feel like you're trying to persuade me that it's good. Your enthusiasm for it just kind of bubbles out of you. And that's that's when marketing magic happens because you don't need to persuade anybody. You just tell them about how great the the book is and if they want it, they want it. Um, yeah. So there's no kind of, you know, I assume you it doesn't feel difficult to talk about. Thank you. Um, yeah, I guess so, because... Yeah, I believe in it. I do believe in it, and I and I, I agree. I'm I'm no I'm not a salesperson. I have no idea how to do that, which is is the next bit that I'm learning. I'm reading loads of books, magazine, <laughs> um, because I don't know how to do the next book. You're right. The bit I'm certain about is I sound cocky, and I'm not cocky at all. But the bit I'm happy with, or the bit I feel comfortable with, is that I believe if somebody has that book in their hands, they'll like it. I just don't don't know, haven't learned the bit of how to get that in as many people's hands as I need to. That's the bit I'm learning now. But yeah. Yeah, I'm so I was gonna ask you, I was gonna ask you about marketing strategy and what your thoughts were about how to get this out into the world. Um it's a, it, it, this is my new thing. So what I did do, luckily, at the beginning, I started reading about marketing. So at the back of the book, what I did was a um, new word for me, but I, I put in a lead magnet, which was something I hadn't heard of before. So another thing I learned. So the back of the book um, asks if you'd like um, to join the, the website um, and the mailing list for more updates. But what we did was we offered a free colouring in page for joining that, uh, which is one of the pages from the book. So that was one way of um being able to then especially when you're selling through amazon they're amazon customers so to be able to make those customers my customers <laughs> by joining my waiting list uh, sorry my mailing list meant that the next book i could then email that out to these customers who've already bought one book so that was one way which was my future thinking of how to do it but the present thinking um yeah, I'm not sure. I'm all over social media. Um, so um, I'm not very good with TikTok. That's my new learning for the next few weeks that I'm going to figure that out. But I'm, I'm on uh, Instagram and Facebook all over that. I I do have clients so that, you know, it's advertised in here. It's in a local bookshop. Um, in September, I'd like to try and get around some schools and do that. Um, I'm in the Proctor Park tomorrow. There is a children's yoga session and I've linked up with them so I'm going to go and do a book signing and see if we can sell some books there um I've linked in with local authority I've got a meeting with a local um counsellor next week I've linked with some counselling services that are local here but the truth is I've, I'm quite low I've stayed local I need to think bigger but I don't know how I'm going to think bigger is the truth that's my next learning <laughs> yeah so I mean I think obviously not a marketing session um, <laughs> but but I think you're doing the right thing by focusing on relationships first because you do speak so well about it you've got so much credibility and it's such an engaging premise that I could see you going and giving little talks places and and spreading the word of mouth that way yeah. I think yeah. that's a really valuable tool 
to take that bigger think about taking those talks to a bigger audience yeah. so things like you're doing right now guesting on podcasts yeah. thinking about where the professionals that might need this might might be listening to so you know what podcast the Senkos listen to for example that's a, something yeah. I'd be thinking about um and maybe trying to get into the kind of media that influences them as well then yeah. obviously you've got the big hitters the big parenting podcasts not as far away as you might think so oh, you might think oh I could never get on there they only have celebrities or whatever now obviously if they do only have celebrities then don't worry but have a look at the ones that do interview authors that do talk about mental health you're more credible than you realize oh, I mean that, that's true <laughs> true for, for for everybody listening to this if you've got a, a decent track record in your profession the media yeah. sees you as credible never forget that um, and the way that you talk about your book is so engaging that if you can record a bit of you talking and um, so you could send them this podcast episode and um, that demonstrates to them this woman can talk not only is she credible she's got a good product but she can actually talk about it and that's what they need to know so don't be afraid to reach out at all um, to those sort of bigger podcasts uh, youtube channels that kind of thing yeah. that's good advice that's yeah, that's that's my next challenge, definitely. And, and it is good advice. And um, yeah, I'll let you know. <laughs> and probably more valuable than social media. I have heard yeah. of social media um, advertising doing well for book sales. Do have a look at that. Um, but in terms of you know, building your authority, getting known as an author with authority in this field, mm. it, it's easier to do that if you're targeting the parents who are likely to buy it and the professionals who are likely to buy it that's yeah. always going to be easier through mainstream media um yeah. than it is through social media right N not to say that's a bad channel but it can suck all of your time uh, yeah. and actually because you're so good at talking let's do more of that <laughs> that's great advice thank you I'll be honest I wasn't sure I'd be a talk <laughs> so this has been a good test for me <laughs> yes and now you know you can do it so there's no excuse you've got to do loads of it <laughs> yeah we're sick of the sound of my own voice in a few weeks <laughs> so I see really exciting things um in the future for B <laughs> um so can you tell me a little bit about you know where people can can go to follow your story what are your social media channels yeah so um, I have uh, Steer Into Counselling, which is my company name. So I have a Facebook page of Steer Into Counselling, which is S-T-W-E-R, which is my surname. Um, and I have an Instagram page for that. And we have a website too, which is uh, Um, And if you go onto there, you can join the um, mailing list which will we will then send out what's happening around here um and we're going to send some stuff about we I don't know we are I I'm gonna <laughs> send some information about book number two very soon um which is how to feel like sunshine which is going to be very exciting <laughs> I yeah this sounds incredible I'll, I'll definitely be coming and checking out your second book after I've bought your first one um <laughs> So, yeah, congratulations on getting the book out there and we'll all be watching to see what happens next. Thank you so much for your time, Sue. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Before you go, did you know that I have a course for professionals just like you who are starting out in independent practice? 
In fact, my Start and Grow course has already supported hundreds of psychologists and therapists to build impactful, financially rewarding and professionally fulfilling practices. When you sign up to the course, you get clear step-by-step support to build a practice that supports your values and rewards your hard work through our comprehensive online learning modules. You get peace of mind thanks to our complete suite of legal documents from Claire Veal at Aubergine Legal. You get 12 months of membership to our supportive student community, access to our private students podcast so you can learn in your own time and in your own way. Yes, I see you learning while you're doing the washing up (laughs) and you get access to regular group coaching sessions with me and the rest of our lovely students. If that sounds like exactly what you need to get out of private practice paralysis, then sign up today at psychologybusinessschool.com. The link is in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to the Business of Psychology podcast. I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to subscribe, rate and review the show. It helps more mental health professionals just like you to find us. And it also means a lot to me personally when I read the reviews. Thank you in advance and we'll see you next week for another episode of Practical Strategy and Inspiration to move your independent practice forwards.